Hey guys, welcome to FTK Q&A session 16. This episode is brought to you by Pillar Performance. Leaders in sports micronutrition, Pillar Performance are changing the way micros are viewed when it comes to optimal performance. High strength and informed sports certified, Pillar's range supports optimal recovery, elevates energy, boosts immunity and relieves inflammation. This episode is a special episode with Benny St. Lawrence. How are you, Ben? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. How are you? I'm good. And obviously, we have Brett with us too. How you doing, mate? Good, thanks. Hey, Benny. How you doing? Um, yeah, speaking of Pillar, have you had their new uh, magnesium, the pineapple coconut? I have, yeah. I got sent uh, an early release and, yeah, I wasn't sure if the old flavor could be matched, but I think they have and, yeah, another good one to add to the repertoire, I think. Yeah, mate. Both the flavors are fucking yummy. Really I good. I say that. They're yeah. so good. Um, I actually Brett, just no. love drinking it. Yeah, Brett and I went to uh, Attica on the weekend, which is like one of Australia's most famous restaurants. And they had these, occasionally they were bringing out these non-alcoholic drinks, which were these like juices that were absolutely insane. And I just said, geez, that pillar stuff tastes pretty similar to those. <laughs> it's really good, like yeah, really good. Remind me of some kind of cocktail you might get on a beach in Brazil or something. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, how you doing, Benny? Like, what are you up to at the moment? Um, yeah, I haven't seen you in ages. Yeah. Um, and Joel, I only ever met you once when I was reading yeah. a book about yes. five Adapec finish waiting for Dave to be able to piss into yeah, a exactly. cup. Exactly, with the only two, <laughs> the only last two left in the stadium, I think. <laughs> yeah, what am I up to? Uh, man, a lot's happening. Um, yeah, doing a lot of coaching now. Still still trying to run and stay fit. Um, about to head to America for a month um, with my fiance. We're going for a, a holiday and then tacking a wedding on to the end of, uh, end of that holiday. She's from America, so we're going to get married over in the US. And uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Congrats. Thanks. Unreal. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, for people who don't know Benny, um, running probably about 10 years ago and he was one of the top Australians running around, one of the top guys in the world really, but PB is 740. 1310 uh 27 24 um and killing it and then and then came back a few years ago um after yeah having a few years off and ran a 214 marathon um i was thinking back to so that's the only that's the only pb you've got him in brett the marathon yeah i know and he's I know. wiped you clear in the know. others that's ridiculous um <laughs> yeah i was thinking back to 2011 uh, melbourne track classic and like i was just a like I was pretty young at the time and sitting in the stands and watching like all the Bowman guys were out here and then it was you that was kicking down on Bernard Legat. Um, like, I think you just got beaten by him, but like you ran, did you run 13.10 that night? Yeah, 13.10.08. Yeah, um, yeah, which is your PB. So, and like that was like a ridiculous, like kind of what, you are in obviously awesome shape because then you went and broke the Australian 10K record, I don't know, what, six weeks later or two months later or something like that. Um that was kind of some of the highlights of your careers? Yeah, definitely. T- 2011 was really a what I thought was a breakout year and, and, and what was going to sort of um, be a stepping stone to even better results. But as is often the case, um, those are my PBs and they probably will be forever now. Um, yeah, that, that Melbourne 5K was a 15-second PB. Um, really? So, like, took a bit yeah. Um, I knew I was in good shape. Uh, like the previous year, 2010, I hadn't run anything really fast, but I had finished seventh in the Com Games in the five and the ten, and um, had had won the Zadapec, uh, won the Australian title at Zadapec. I was second in the race, but had, had beaten Collis and Bobby Curtis and Adrian Blinko, and I knew those yeah. guys, 13, 10, 13, 11 kind of guys. So I thought I was due for 
for something fast, but um, that was a stacked field. It had, um, yeah, Chris Zielinski, Matt Tegenkamp, um, Tim Nelson, like the Bowman guys. Then there was Collis, Craig Mottram, um, and then Bernard Legat. I think there were a couple of Kenyans who'd run under 13, but they were a bit washed up by that stage as well. Yeah. But I probably went in ranked about, I don't know, eighth or something. Um, I knew I was ready for a big PB and just, you know, the goal for that year was the Daegu World Champs. But as often happens, I found myself just in really good shape in March and um, I remember talking to my coach, Sean, and, and Nick, who was my agent at the time as well. Um, I think they both just sort of said, look, opportunities like this don't come along all the time. Um, obviously, you want to tick off the world championship standard, but if you've got a chance to take these guys down and, and you know, to to beat these guys, they're out of their comfort zone, they're away from home, you know, for once they're the ones that have to travel all the way to Australia, it's normally us going the other way. And just thought it was a good chance to to put myself in there and see how many scalps I could take and... It was still pretty surreal, um, you know, kicking past Solinsky um, down the back yeah. straight. I'm the like 25 guy or 26 guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 326, 1500 guy. And I, honestly, with 250 to go, I thought I was going to win. I was like, yeah. yep, it's, it, it's happening. And as I went around, Solinsky, Legat also started kicking. And I, I matched him around the around the bend and into the straight, but then he put over a second into me in, in the straight. But, yeah, that was... Um, it was a huge breakthrough. Um, I went to number two on the Australian all-time list, like just just got ahead of Collis, but he then obviously ended up getting ahead of me and just getting pushed down uh, that all-time list every year now, which is... Yeah, that's crazy. Great, <laughs> great, great to see Rosie running, but also every one of those stings a little bit. It's like... Yeah. It's you wish you had the good spikes, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but, yeah, it's funny... I, I finished that race and thought, oh, sweet, I'm going to run under 13 minutes. I'm going to do this, going to do that. And then never it took me two years just to run 13.10 again. And, uh, like, that's definitely one of the highlights. Um, to be able to do that, um, you know, I'm not from Melbourne, but that old Olympic park, that felt like a home track for me. Yeah. Um, and run of, like, what felt like a pretty good crowd of, you know, people like you, Bretts, and, you know, younger kids who are going to go on to run really well and my parents were there and, and so to run one of my best races here in Australia was awesome. Yeah, I that, think that it's definitely Olympic Park was was insane, especially when you got a good crowd. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was so good but I, I really miss that. Lakeside's not quite the same. Um, There's something that, special to be said, I reckon, in doing a performance like that, running 13-10, 15-second PB, coming second in home, ser- in home soil as opposed to say, you know, like now a lot of – Aussies running PBs are like in Diamond Leagues coming like eighth, just like on the, you know, down, just hanging on for dear life and running a super, super quick time. But yeah. It's, yeah. Well, um, like, I, uh, it's, it always feels better when in 200, uh, 200 when you say you feel like you are going to win. Yeah. Like that's way better than like you're coming into home straight, running a PB with the guys already finished. Yeah. Um, which is yeah. always good. So you used to train with, um, yeah, Sean Williams was your coach, but you jumped yeah. in and out with um, Melbourne Track Club as well for training camps and stuff. Like that would have been, um, like you said, the four guys before, like you, Collis, Bobby, and Blinko, like all guys are running pretty much 13, 10 to 13, 12, or 13, 9 to 13, 12. It would have been a pretty fun few years. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and even though I'm older than Collis, I always felt like, you know, he'd been – I didn't get into sort of more serious about running until my mid-20s and Collis like sort of took me under his wing a little bit and, um, yeah, guys like Blinko and, and Bobby, we we had some awesome trips and, like, I see you guys still going, you know, to Laguna and St. Moritz and places like that and um, definitely a little bit of jealousy that I'm not still on the circuit and, and living that life. But, yeah, we um, 
we had some great training sessions together and I really learned a lot from those guys. And, um, yeah, it was funny how closely matched we are when you look at particularly 5K, 10K PBs. We're all very, very similar mm. and I think we were able to work together really well and, um, yeah, lift each other up. I think um, when I came into sort of Aussie 5K, 10K running, obviously it was off the back of Craig Mottram who just set the bar extremely high. But then um, I had Collis for all of my best years were probably coincided with some of Collis's best years. And I think without him around, I probably would have won a lot more Australian titles, things like that. So there's no way I would have ended up as good. So um, I think that was, yeah, we were both probably lucky to have each other and, and yeah, drive each other to some good com competitive domestic races. And then obviously Brett, you came along and, and the next generation as well to, um, yeah, keep driving it forward. Yeah, and now that, like, that next generation's, like, killing it as well. Like, when you've got, like, Stewie and Jack, you know, 13.05, 13.06. So it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it kind of was. Because I think when Mochin was there, it's like, he was, like, so far better than everyone. Like, the next guy was, like, 13.30 guy. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then you guys came along and kind of set, set the standard again. Because um, 12.55 was a bit out of reach, I think, for a lot of people, where yeah. you kind of you guys set the standard and, and gave everyone us, like, Kind of what what we have to run. Um, 13, yeah. 10, 13, 10 is still uh, pretty out out of reach for me. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's get into the questions. Philippe Sarah Martins says, "If you could go back and tell young Ben the most valuable running advice, what would it be and why?" Yeah, that's a good one, Philippe. Um, and Philippe's uh, recently joined Run Crew. He's getting coached by my fiance. So thanks for the question, Philippe. Um, the best advice. I think like the boring one is obviously consistency is key. Um, you know, trust the process and be patient. I think um, a lot of young runners or a lot of people new to the sport, maybe even Philippe, this could apply to you, is you sort of want everything in a hurry. Um, you want to get better and better and, and you sort of um, – yeah, you might try to rush it by taking jumps ahead, you know, further ahead than what you're ready to do, you know, from the training you've already done. So I think, yeah, patience and consistency and um, just building layer upon layer. I think early in my career I, I was obsessed with just never missing a run, never missing a session. I, I sort of overanalyzed all of my splits in sessions and if, you know, if I had an off day, I, it, it would really bother me thinking that, oh, I'm not going to be good if this happens. But I think with the, the wisdom of old age and being around the sport for a lot longer and seeing a lot of other people, um, you know, come through um, both as athletes that I watch like yourself, Brett, and yourself, Joel, but also um, people I'm coaching, it's that it's, um, it's just layering decent sessions, you know, week on week, month on month, and, and that's how you become good rather than sort of focusing on wanting to smash every single session and um, sort of, missing that consistency because you're going up and down and you might pick up a niggle, you might burn yourself out, that sort of thing. So I think, um, I don't know, do you guys feel that as well? Just oh, I was just about to say this This resonates a lot with me um, because we've even spoken about this on the podcast, but it's easy for me to preach it. I'm still making those mistakes. It's, you know, that's probably why I've got an injury now because I'm still sort of, you know, I'll get ahead of myself and make some silly mistakes or, you know, push too hard here and there and then you, you just always will come back to bite you in the ass for sure. And Benny, I think even I can remember in your career, like um, when I was around, like those first few years, like I remember doing laps of the meadow with you and you would absolutely smash them and then be like, yeah, I'm in great shape. But then it's like oh. you've just smashed one, one session. It doesn't mean anything. But then later in your career when you just put together – months of training of basic training really and just like layers and layers and layers then you're actually running well so 
Yeah, it, it's so true. But it's easy to get caught up when you're going well to to push. It's just you need to kind of have that thought to hold yourself back. It's a the bit. hardest thing is to hold yourself back when yeah. when yeah. you go when you're going well. Yeah, yeah. I think How it's all like oh, you go, Benny. No, like it's common for like if I look back to that thirteen ten we were talking about earlier. Um, there were some sessions in the lead up to that that were like the best sessions of my life, and so it's easy to think, all right, to run thirteen ten, I've got to go and try and do those sessions again, but. The reason I ran 1310 in 2011 was the five years of consistent yeah. leading up to that. And most of the sessions in those five years were just okay. There were some good ones. There were plenty of shit ones. But it was just okay sessions back to back and it was just ticking those weeks off. So I think now with Strava and people with YouTube channels and even podcasts, things like that, you hear a lot. <laughs> terrible things then. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you guys are at least doing your weekly training, so we get to hear your ups and downs and, and that sort of thing. But often what people ups. tend to do, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come and Joel, be patient. <laughs> no, I think like, you know, on, on social media and, and YouTube channels, people tend to share their best sessions and their most interesting sessions and those are the ones that people think, okay, I've got to do those, um, these crazy sessions. But it's actually just the more mundane day-to-day, week-to-week training that gets you there and that doesn't um, like that's not an easy sell. It's not exciting, but uh, yeah, I think no. that's that's the key. So true. How's things like uh, nutrition changed throughout your career? Like, I guess you weren't the healthiest person when you were younger, and then um, you were always pretty healthy and, and always doing those kind of one percenters and the small things when when I was around. Yeah, I think nutrition. Um, look, at, in a really broad sense, I think some of my worst seasons came when I underate. Um, probably like looking now at, at all the information out there about relative energy deficiency in sport, all this sort of all this sort of stuff. I, I look back and think I probably ruined a few seasons by being obsessed with being lean and light and, and under eating. Um, so I think once again, if if you know, with the people I coach and and if I could go back and give myself some advice, it would be um, just look after yourself a little better, like fuel yourself well. Um, so that's like macronutrients, probably more carbs, more protein, more fats, but also um, and being sponsored by Pillar, it's probably a good time to mention it that mm. macronutrients can make a big difference. Um, I know I used to struggle with a bit of insomnia and I think some of that was related to going to bed hungry, but also um, if the triple magnesium was around back then, um, taking that I probably would have been sleeping better. Um, you would have I run think- 12.55. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think training hard is one thing, but you've also got to support um, the recovery and the adaptation. Like there's no point smashing yourself in training if you're not absorbing all of that training and actually giving your body the chance to adapt and improve. I think some key elements for that are, you know, taking easy days, taking down weeks, um, focusing on nutrition, supplements. Um, and particularly now, I, I don't know about you guys and Joel, we met, probably just after one of your drug tests, but um, I was always a little bit nervous taking supplements because of the risk of testing positive to, you know, hidden substances. But the uh, benefit of Pillar now is that it's informed sports certified. You know that exactly what you, you it says on the label is what you're taking. So, um, you know, I'm... You can take confidence in that for sure. <laughs> yeah, particularly now that I'm getting older, I think I can't just smash myself in training and then expect to be able to go again the next day. I really need to focus on, um, you know, taking the magnesium to help with my sleep. I'm taking the GCM, um, the zinc. I haven't caught COVID yet and I put that down to zinc. Yeah. Yeah. It's, when, yeah. You've, when you've got like uh, those micro 
products that Pillar Pillar have. It's just so much easier. Like you, you're obviously trying to ha- get a balanced diet as it is, but those things just help because yeah. you know sometimes you know you know, geez, I couldn't even tell you what foods are high in zinc. But yeah, it's e- it's, e- it's easy when it's in the little Pillar <laughs> little Pillar container. Yeah, I remember rooming with you, Benny, when you uh, used to have like trouble sleeping. <laughs> it used to be crazy, like because, and I think he like. I know. I knew how frustrating it was for you as well because, like, every night, you're like, am I going to sleep? And then it's like three a.m. Yeah. You're still awake. Wow. And I was like, all right, what do I do now? Like, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I wish that was around for you back in the day. It would have relieved yeah. a lot of stress, definitely. Yeah, but as a coach, um, when like just looking more broadly again at, at nutrition, if someone's underperforming and we can't figure out why, um, one of the first things I look at is how much are you fueling? Are you, are you eating enough? Um, I think it's probably good to mention that now that 50% of the time, you know, it might take us a while to figure it out, but it does come back to underfueling. So I think, um, yeah, to listeners out there, just as your training load increases, um, just make sure you're fueling yourself well because, yeah, you're only going to adapt to the training that you, you know, sorry, you're only going to improve from the training that you absorb. So, yeah. yeah. I think if I look back at all my injuries and all my uh, times I've been running bad, it's because I've been way too lean. Wet and yeah. too skinny and just haven't been fueling enough. So it, it is a big problem. And uh, distance runners, like, it's just when you break it down, it's just so stupid because you are asking your body to do so much, you need to fuel it. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's just when you think about it like that, you should be eating a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, next question from Clary McIntyre What motivates you to get back into the sport after having a break? Um, yeah. So, I guess he's probably referring to the break I had from when I was like 18 years old until my, my mid-20s, I guess. Um, and, and this could probably be a whole podcast and I have talked about this yeah. on other podcasts, but <laughs> look, I went like so far away. I was a talented junior, went so far away um, from running down down another path into sort of the party lifestyle and um, enjoyed it for a while but then also towards the end stopped enjoying it and just felt like terrible. I was quite overweight, really unhealthy, Um and, and initially, I just decided to, to start running to try to get healthy again. Um, that snowballed. I started sort of feeling the training leading to increases in fitness and I was starting to feel better. And um, I knew I had a lot of talent. I was quite a good runner as, as a kid without doing too much training. And so I thought, all right, let's see if I can get competitive and started entering some races around Sydney. And yeah, that kind of kept rolling. And um, then... Coincidentally, I happened to be in Melbourne in 2006 um, when the Commonwealth Games were on and I remember being in the stands down there and I saw um, guys that I used to compete against in school were, were in the you know, in the fields wearing the green and gold. I remember Nick Bromley was one of them um, and I thought, wow, these guys, like I used to compete with these guys in school. They've made better life choices and now they're running for Australia and I was there for Craig Mottram's 5K against Augustine Chogi and like, that was just ridiculous and I came away from those Com Games thinking, all right, I've been training a bit now, trying to get healthy. Now I'm going to see how far I can take it in this sport and if I could possibly make the next Commonwealth Games um, in four years and uh, made a few changes and and was lucky enough to be able to train consistently for four years and then made the next Com Games in in Delhi and ran the 5K and the 10K there. And Yeah, so initially it was just trying to get healthy. Um, But then it was, you know, I got addicted to seeing those improvements and then just wanted to see, and I think, Brett and Joel, you'd probably be similar. Once you start improving, you just want to see how far you can take it. Yeah. And every improvement, I was like, okay, so I'm 
I'm competitive at a state level. Then I was competitive at a national level. Then it's like, all right, I just want to see, you know, could I win a medal at the Olympics or something like that? And you just never know. You just you just want to keep trying and trying and see how far you can go with it. Yeah, yeah, crazy turnaround. Like um, a lot of people wouldn't have kind of made that decision. Like it easily could have just kept going down the path you were going and and been overweight and um, selling. Would, what were you selling? Phone books or something? Or <laughs> The reason I was in Victoria, we were selling um, pay TV door to door. Oh, uh, wow. That was an eye opening experience. Um, yeah, but I, I actually, one other thing, there were a couple of moments, but I caught myself once and I can't remember what race I was watching, but we we're in a pub and some athletics was on TV and I caught myself telling my mates that oh, I could have been good if I'd oh, tried. Yeah. And I was like, I caught myself being that guy that was going to say what they could have done. I was like, nah stuff this I'm actually going to go and try and do it rather than just be one of those guys that says yeah I could have done that yeah unreal um interestingly obviously a lot of people you know I know a lot of my mates um they in their like mid-20s you know they did a lot of partying say from high school in, when they're 18 um and then now it's like running's become such such a big thing it's a cool thing to do and these guys are all now starting to learn how to run and they're like mid-20s and just jogging and stuff like that obviously you had such a period out but out of the sport, but you were really talented as a as a junior. Did you find you transitioned back into running pretty easily? Like, you know, you're on the piss and then you're like, I'm going to go for a run. Like, did you run sort of while you were partying or was it a thing where you just didn't run for six years or? Every every New Year's resolution during those years that I was <laughs> running and okay. sometimes last a couple of days, other times it might last a couple of weeks. But um, I did like I, I would go in a couple of local fun runs and things like that during that time. Um, but I, I distinctly remember um, early on in when I was trying to get back into running, I went to try and do some hill reps and I reckon I got through about three, maybe 100-metre hill reps and I was throwing up on the ground and had, <laughs> had to get back to bed and had like a crazy migraine for the rest of that day. So early on it, it didn't come very quickly but once I sort of, yeah, got the ball rolling, there was obviously a lot Momentum, of yeah. a, a lot of talent there and, and I was lucky to sort of have that that genetic ability, I guess. Um, but I think um, I think running sort of, like in the party side of things, I was all or nothing. And so, like, I, I really went all in with that. And then I think running, um, and you saying it's similar for some of your mates coming out of that lifestyle, It's um, it can be a really good replacement for that. Um, you can, that energy that you were putting into that lifestyle, if you can, you know, redirect that and put it into running, it's quite addictive and it's, um, you know, yeah, you sort of get a lot of um, yeah, a lot of those uh, the runners the same high endorphins and stuff that you get from partying yeah. without the crash down afterwards, that's without right, the hating yeah. hating yourself the next day. Yeah, yeah unless you've done a long run and underfueled or something, and you're probably <laughs> gonna still hate yourself the next day. Aren't you? yeah. <laughs> um, on that, like returning to running, would you say like did you have to have a different approach to recovery? Obviously, getting back, say when you're young, people can just get away with get away with anything when they're young athletes, but you know getting back into it in your mid-20s, did you have to, yeah. So different and also, sort of, I guess, like, you, you, like, when did you, I don't know, are, are you still, do you consider yourself retired yet from, like, competition or? No, I don't think so. I've like, yeah, so I've, how are you still? Yeah, so it's still. Like, you ran 214 only a couple of years ago and how old were you, 37? Uh, yeah, late 30s. Yeah. Um, and I reckon, yeah, I, sorry, what was the question? Like, like <laughs> how do you keep recovering so well and like being able to run at a high level? Brett hijacked um, the question, so yeah, stuffed sorry, up the delivery. In, yeah. <laughs> Threw um, you off. <laughs> yeah, like how, how have you been able to do it so long pretty much? 
Yeah, look, I think um, coming back into it a bit older and, and like I clearly remember uh, Laguna training camps, Brett, where for the 30 or 40 minute afternoon run, it would take me nearly an hour of pre to oh, get ready yeah. to hobble out the door and you, <laughs> would, you would get up from an afternoon nap and bounce out, kick the soccer ball for a couple of minutes and then <laughs> bounce down. I just I remember looking at you, young pricks, just thinking, oh, this is not fair. But look, that that sort of sums it up. Like I had to do a lot of um, a lot of prehab, a lot of um, like foam rolling and theraband work, and uh, you know, strength training, that sort of thing, um, just to sort of keep the body going. And um, yeah, like sometimes some double runs, particularly the the Saturday evening run after a hard session on the Saturday morning, I would pretty much hobble the whole way through. Um, so, and and I also think I um. I just couldn't quite handle the, the really high mileage, like guys like Collis could and, and Brett. So I think sort of 140 was probably my sweet spot. If I tried to go above that while still doing three, you know, decent sessions a week, I just I wouldn't get any return from those extra Ks. I tried it a lot of times, but um, so probably realising my limitation was, you know, my sweet spot was probably 120 to 140 Ks a week. Good, um, good news for me. I'm loving hearing yeah. this. <laughs> but, but you find it hard, Joel. You don't want to be the guy doing less than anyone. So that's probably where I struggled sometimes um, training with MTC, just swallowing my pride and thinking, all right, I, I can't be the, the guy here doing the most mileage or, you know, smashing everything the most. It's, you know, I've got to actually do a little bit less, think what's best for me. And I always found that a little bit tough. You don't want to be the one doing less. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, yeah. Uh, I guess a bit, yeah, to answer the question, how am I still going? Probably just the same the same stuff. I think I'm very fortunate that post, um, you know, well, that I'm able to, to be a running coach and that's my full-time gig. So it, it's not like I had to finish running and then start a, a real, you know, real job and fit that in with everything. Um, the fact that I'm out coaching means that I can often run um, with the people I'm coaching and that's helped me to, to maintain fitness. And um, I think definitely my fast track days are behind me, but I do um, have aspirations to beat that 214 marathon PB from a, a few years ago at Gold Coast. I think there's been a few times since then that I reckon I've, I've been in shape too. I just haven't quite made the start line for some of my goal marathons. Um, so, yeah, still hoping to run quicker than 214 and, and we'll still dabble in the track. But I think it really does come down to um, accepting what I'm able to do now and it's not what I was able to do when I'm younger. So um, slowing runs down. I can get good volume but just two sessions a week now. Um yeah, like most days I'll try to run for between 70 to 80 minutes just in one run rather than trying to do double runs. Um, and then I can push the long runs out a bit longer and, yeah, just yeah. just ticking it off but also just making sure I'm trying to absorb all of the training. There you go. Um, got a question here from Dave McNeil. Not sure if you know who that is, but um, what are some principles you learned to be valuable to high performance as an athlete that you now try to teach your athletes at Run Crew? Um. Dave McNeil, yeah, he's that bully, isn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Terrible bloke. <laughs> um, first piece of advice, well, I guess it depends who you are. Um, going back to Mount Laguna, there was a, a night that Dave made either a chickpea or a lentil curry. Were you there for this one, Brett? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, the next morning I ran like the best I've ever run around the meadow. felt like I was floating. Um Possibly because I'd lost a couple of kilos um, <laughs> yeah. eating day. I think 
out of the eight people who ate the curry, I was the only one who had a really good run the next day. I'm not sure their um, their digestive systems were ready for <laughs> um, Dave's lemon curry, but it was actually delicious. Um, no, Dave and I, yeah, we, we were good mates on the on the um, MTC tour. Um, look, things that I, I take from my own career, and um, you know, in that sort of high end sport, um, now I think we've really touched on a lot of this, but. Um, not comparing yourself to others, um, definitely figuring out what's best for you and trying to tick off those weeks and, and you know, pile those on um, leading to, you know, good months and then good years. What What is coming up for you, Benny? And then? Um, yeah, so I'm going to be in Eugene to, to be a spectator at the World Champs. So it's going to be awesome, but it's also going to be feel a little bit weird. You know, I always, um, whenever you're watching something like that, you'd, you'd rather be there. But um, my fiance Katie, um, her family are all big track fans and they would always travel for, you know, the US Olympic trials and that sort of thing. So now that the world champs are going to be on in Eugene, um, her family's coming across and we're heading over and, yeah, we're going to be track fans for a couple of weeks, which will be awesome. Do you reckon you could um, do a few interviews then, of athletes of us while, yeah. while you're over there? Yeah, yeah, we can send them across. That, that, yeah, um, perfect. Yeah, then, yeah, then we're heading to North Dakota, uh, having a wedding, um, like the American side of our wedding. We'll also do something in Australia for all of my family and everything. Uh, running wise, uh, I'm thinking trying to work up towards Melbourne Marathon. Oh, um, cool. Ooh, there you go. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, like I'll be trying to train, you know, as normal on this trip, but. Could be a little bit challenging, um, but yeah, try to maintain fitness. There's a half in Sydney on the fourth of September, um, part of our Athletics New South Wales circuit. So yeah, fourth of Is September that the one half. Is doing? Yeah, Gusman and Goddard are doing that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So um, do that, and then try to build up for Melbourne, um, and then yeah, see how we go from there. Yeah, no, awesome. sounds like a good plan. Um, thanks so much for this, Benny. It's it's been great. Um, Last thing we want to talk about is our World Champ special. Now we have a man on the ground over there working for us, even better. But um, uh, tipping contest, Benny, you need to get your tips in so you can. Uh, Got to put the celebrity tips out. Yeah, celebrity tips so we can let everyone know the inside goss. Um, when yeah, this that- comes out, it's Thursday night, so you have 24 hours to get your tips in. Um, Benny, do you have yeah. any hot tips for us at the moment? Um, on the spot here. <laughs> Look, I have submitted my tips with you guys. Um, we, we've, we've got thousands. We've literally got a million. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty hard to look in a list of a million. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, from an Aussie perspective, I would love to see someone like a Peter Bowl or a you know an Ollie or, or yeah. you know someone just get up for a medal and, and even a gold. Um, I'm sure I'm not alone in that, but. Um, or, you know, Stewie as well. There's, I uh, probably shouldn't have started naming names because now I'm going to accidentally leave someone off. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> it's going to be exciting. And if someone over there can snag a medal, don't worry, I'll be finding them and um, trying to have a beer with them afterwards and I'll uh, get some audio for you yeah, guys. But good, good. Uh, Unreal. Unreal. It's, it's going to be exciting. It's, oh, you, you're so lucky you're um, going to be over there. That's going to be yeah. amazing. Um, I think like I think they've sold out like heaps of the day, so it'll be US fans, especially in in Eugene, that they know what they're doing. So it's going to go off. It'll be great. Um, yeah, thanks so much, Benny, and uh, thanks to Pillar for sponsoring this episode again. Um, yeah, thanks it's a been lot. Great and good luck it's with been... the wedding. And, yeah, uh, thanks. 
for having me on and um, hopefully we'll bump into each other at a race soon. Yeah, for sure. That's it. Thanks again, Pillar Performance. Head to pillarperformance.shop to find out more. Cheers, guys. Cheers.